Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Pearls and Politics Podcast, where we are polished and poised for greatness and impact. Thank you for joining us today. Today's episode is brought to you by Sparkles Home Decor. We appreciate all of their beautiful decor and keeping us pearly and polished here at our podcast. Today, we are here with the president and CEO of the St. Louis Metropolitan Urban League, President Michael McMillan. He is here today to talk to us about all things service, community, activism, civil rights, and just all of the amazing things that the St. Louis Urban League is doing. Welcome, President McMillan. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you always. I enjoy every occasion where we have the time to spend some time together. And I commend you for all of the things that you have been doing, all of the great work that you do in Illinois, how you're trying to spread that mission around our region and the country with this podcast. When I look at this set and I see the glamour, the sophistication, (laughs) the elegance and the beauty, I would expect nothing less from you. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. It's been some time now that we've been friends. Yes. Um, Over a decade now. Over a decade. Over a decade. And I usually ask my guests, how do we know each other? But I will tell you, I will never forget meeting you. It was your 40th birthday party. Yes. And I had just started as the circuit clerk and I was hanging out with Charlotte Otley. Yes. Because I had gotten started with the East St. Louis, uh, the East St. Louis NAACP. And they were like, oh, come on, we're going to go. And we got this really nice, you know, elected official we want you to meet. And uh, we're going to go to his birthday party. And I'm like, okay. So I get over and that building is just an amazing building. And so I get in and you had this beautiful office with all of these amazing people. And there's food and there's punch and your family was there. And we met and I was like, he is so nice. (laughs) And I was new to politics. So I didn't really know that people could be personable and friendly and all of that. And so your birthday party was great. Thank you. And I met a lot of really nice people. And so that started our friendship. And then we continued operating in a lot of the same circles with the NAACP. And I think I was co-host that year. Then the next year I was the actual um, the actual like host of the of the um, of the banquet. The gala chair. Yes, the chair. That's right. They ever had, as I recall. Oh, see, he he remembers. I'm so glad you remember. So, yes, I was co-chair, then I was chair. And um, we were then honorary co-chairs together for years after that. Yes. So, again, like we said, we've had that opportunity to really, like, talk and hang out and just really get to know each other and learn all about the wonderful things that we're both doing. Yes. You know, that we're both doing. So... Yeah, so it's always a pleasure to be in your company. And now, 11 years later, I've had a chance to see not only your success and the work you've done as an elected official, but really somebody who is dedicated to the community, no matter what your title is, in terms of your work in charitable, civic, sorority, community events, period, NAACP, whatever it is, you're always there to really make a difference, give back, help humanity, and be somebody who is really trying to lead the way in terms of making a positive impact on people. Well, thank you. That really means a lot because we have really been anxious to have you on the podcast because you are just you killing it. Like, I'm sorry. You are, as the president and CEO of the wonderful organization, you all are just out here 
in the community or, you know, as we say, in the streets, yes. I mean, in the trenches, at the grassroots level, all the way up, just really making a difference. And so before we get into everything that the Urban League is doing, please tell our viewing um, and listening audience, because many are not from the area, about yourself. Well, you're sweet to to ask. Uh, so I'm a native St. Louisan. Uh, I've had the privilege and honor of uh, spending my whole life here in this community. I have the majority of my family here in St. Louis with me. I thoroughly enjoy this community. I wouldn't live anywhere else. You know, St. Louis has been exceptionally good to me. Uh, it has always given me the opportunity to rise to whatever occasion that I was willing to try to serve in. And people have supported me from my teen years when I started with the Urban League to when I started in the mayor's office at 21 and when I first ran for office at 24 and then wow. now at the Urban League in my 10th year. And so I am incredibly blessed uh, to have an enormous amount of friends, family and network here and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Well, you have had a, an illustrious career. I mean, from, like you said, elected office, because you started as an alderman, correct? So technically, I started as a Democratic committeeman when I was 24 and then ran for alderman at 25 and spent uh, 10 years there and then was license collector mm -hmm. uh, when we met. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was such a pleasure then because I was able to meet a kindred spirit in terms of a young person mm -hmm. that was really involved in wanting to make a difference in the community. So you then, like you said, kindred spirit, you then transitioned from elected office to what you're doing now. Yes. I've wanted on so many occasions to find someone that I can have that conversation with because so many of our elected colleagues or formerly elected colleagues their transition was different. Sometimes it's it's through a loss or, or through whatever, but just I haven't had anyone formally elected on to just have that conversation about that transition. Like yeah. what made you say, let me transition into something different? Certainly. No, you're absolutely right. Because really, sadly, when you look at the last chapter of so many different elected officials, especially African-American, mm -hmm. that rise to a certain level of, let's say, citywide or other type of higher office, the last chapter is not something that you really are very excited about. Mm -hmm. So many people have, you know, lost their last race. Some have mm -hmm. gone, you know, into scandalous situations that made them resign and so many other things that Mm -hmm. sadly take away from the merits of the totality mm -hmm. of what they did in office. And people only remember in many ways that negative last thing. Exactly. That Not the legacy, but that last, that last tarnishing event. Yes, yes, exactly. And so, you know, I think you and I were blessed with the mm -hmm. ability to walk out of our offices into something that we truly wanted to do yes. that would empower more people and give us the ability to help in a different way. Because mm -hmm. with you starting in your early 30s, mm -hmm. and I started in the mayor's office when I was 21, it would have been almost metaphysically impossible for both of us to spend 40 or 50 years exactly. working for the government, especially getting elected so young. Mm -hmm. It would have been very presumptuous of us to think we could have been elected until we retired. <laughs> retired. Yeah. Yes. Now we've been very blessed, but that's a presumption that we didn't want to take. Right. And right. so we were blessed to be elected on several occasions mm -hmm. and then be able to transition. 
And so in your new role and in mine at the Urban League, we still have the ability to serve. It's just in a different way. Absolutely. I know for myself, I know a lot of people were like, well, why would she, you know, do that? You know, she had three years left in her term and, you know, she won. But like you said, it really is a far stretch to imagine 33, 34 and then retiring at 65. But then also just knowing that there's additional things or more that God has for you. And you serve your time and you serve it well. I mean, being the circuit clerk put me in places and spaces that I never would have been. I mean, I started, um, as we discussed, a young widow um, with a young baby and everything about my life transitioned during that time. I got remarried. I had more children. I, I was elected three times. And, you know, just life. I remember telling the clerks when I put on the clerks conference and we were closing and we were tired and. I just told them, I said, I appreciate you all so much because the circuit clerk's office in this role that I had is the rock on which I rebuilt my life. And they were all like in tears, like we yeah. were all like in yeah. tears or whatever, because they remember this young woman with this little boy. And then again, they saw me transition over 10 years to so many different things. And so I'll never forget, obviously, it's one of the best jobs I've ever had, but it was definitely a time to transition. And like you said, move on to opportunities that really put us in a position to bless others. And yes. that is exactly what you are doing, well, sir. Thank you. And so you. I can't wait to get into all of that. So please tell us, about your role as president and CEO and all the programming. I know there's not enough time in the day where you're going to have to come back. I'm going to tell you that. He's going to have to come back. Um, but please tell us about your role as the CEO and what your vision and mission is and all the things that the Urban League is doing right now. Absolutely. You know, so for those that are not familiar with the Urban League, uh, we were actually created out of the East St. Louis race riots. Uh, that happened in 1917. So at the time, of course, there was an enormous backlash in the white community against black workers that were being hired to replace some white workers who were protesting and trying to get higher wages and this infusion of African-Americans from the South because of discriminatory Jim Crow laws into big cities. This type of situation happened in many large cities where members of the majority community felt as though people were taking their jobs. Mm -hmm. And so the East St. Louis race riots displaced hundreds of African-Americans, killed an enormous amount of people. And so then at that time, the federal government and the local governments and the state wanted to create an organization to help the displaced African-American people to have resources for new housing, for jobs, for education, for health care, and everything else that was necessary. But sadly, the conditions were so bad in Illinois that they couldn't do it in Illinois. So we actually started then in St. Louis in 1918, which is why we're 104 years old, one of the oldest urban leagues in the country. And luckily for us in St. Louis, the largest urban league in the United States. Wow. Even though St. Louis is around the 20th largest market in the country, we're the number one urban league because we have an enormous amount of support, quite frankly, from the city, state, federal government, United Way, our business partners, corporate partners, our board of directors, hardworking staff, volunteers, and everyone that come to the table. You yourself as an urban leaguer as well from years ago, mm -hmm. but once an urban leaguer, always an urban <laughs> leaguer. Right. We always 
always claim that's you. That's right. That's right. Even if it was in another city, we want to claim that time that you had with the Urban League yes. because you stand for the very principles upon which we were founded to be that bridge between the government, the business, the corporate community, social workers and philanthropists to help African-Americans and any person in need that comes in our door that wants to live the American dream. They want a quality education. They want mm -hmm. good housing. They want a good job. They want to be able to have good health care. And they want to be able to have equal access under the law to all of the rights and privileges of what it means to be a citizen of the United States. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we stand for. That's what we have done. That's what we're doing now. And if you look at what has happened in the past three years because of COVID, we're needed now just as much as we ever were. And there's much more work to be done. How do we get more involved? Well, the Urban League is the beneficiary of thousands of people throughout the region that volunteer with us. And people can call our office at 615-3600, uh, or they can go on the website at ulstl.com and come and volunteer with us. We need it in a head start. We need volunteers for our large scale food, toiletry, mask, gloves, sanitizer, cleaning supply, distributions that we do in our six food pantries throughout the entire region every week. And for our large scale events like the Thanksgiving and Christmas and MLK distributions that we do annually. And of course, our Urban Expo and our Save Our Sisters program and Save Our Sons and on and on and on. So you mentioned the Save Our Sons, and a couple months back, you opened a new Save Our Sons site. Please tell us about that, because when I tell you top-notch, Chris, we, what we were talking about, we were saying it looks like men's warehouse on the inside. It is yes. just a beautiful facility. So please tell us what it is who it serves, and where you're located. Absolutely. So Save Our Sons really was created out of the Ferguson crisis. Because at that time, when you look at the death of Mike Brown, and you look at the huge protest movement that came about as a result of it, at the end of the day, we would take this suit, shirt, and tie off and change into casual clothes. And we would go out to Ferguson every night, and we would talk to the people in the community and ask them, what do you need? How can we help? Because really, that movement was driven and created by young people. It was not established organizations. It was not hierarchy. It was not elected officials. None of us created that. It was actually the youth. And so with them being in the streets, we said, let us go find out what we can do. Let's not tell them what they need, but ask them. And literally every single young man said, I need a job. I need a job that you can either hire me with at the Urban League or can you place me in one because you placed my parents in their first job and I know that's something that you do. So at that time, I had only been president one year. I went back to the office and I pulled our data and then I found out something that I didn't know, even though I've been a member of the Urban League since I was 16, which was 70 to 90 percent of our clients are single female heads of household at the Urban League. And so even the programs were unisex. Men were not coming in our doors. And so when we went back out and we talked to more men, you know, I asked them, well, why are you all not coming out? And quite frankly, a lot of men said they were ashamed that they needed the help. They were embarrassed. They didn't want to admit it to anybody. And, you know, they didn't they didn't know who to talk to. So we specifically went and hired staff that were able to bridge that gap by going on the streets and into the suites. And so that they could then bridge that from someone who had never had a job 
or was recently incarcerated or had had run-ins with the law or maybe even had a college degree and just didn't know how to get a good job Mm -hmm. and then bridge that to work with those individuals that are in the HR departments that actually place people in jobs. And so then to go get these young men, put them through a four-week course and then place them into positions. And so luckily since then, we've been able to place 2,500 men into jobs to be able to give them the abilities to be good fathers, good husbands, take care of themselves and take care of their families. But there are so many more people that need the program. So it was started in Ferguson. And the second office is open in North St. Louis at our new headquarters at the old Sears building, the Victor Roberts building at Martin Luther King and Kings Highway. And then we have a reentry program with the state of Missouri, where we go into the prisons and the halfway homes to try to get people to transition and get their lives back on track. But we recently, as you mentioned, just opened a new South St. Louis office at 2626 Cherokee right off of Jefferson because we wanted to deal with that population. And the state said, since you have been so successful in placing people, we're going to provide you. Wow. We're going to give you the funding to expand. And we're getting ready to open an office this month in December in East St. Louis to expand and do more on the Illinois side as well. Wow. Um, That's all I can say. That's why we wanted you to come because there's so much that you're doing and so many people just don't know. We didn't know that you were the largest in in the nation. Um, We didn't know that, you know, 2,500 men have been blessed with the opportunities that your Urban League provides. We didn't know that you had all these additional sites. I know when I was on your website and doing some research, it's just the lawyer and me, um, I'm like, oh my goodness, they have stuff over here and over here and over here. And I was just like, this is just amazing work that so many of us, so many people know about, but then so many people don't. And like you said, there are so many other people that need your resources. So you said there's a set for, for the sons, but then you mentioned that there's also resources for women. Oh, absolutely. Yes, 70 to 90 percent of our clients are still single family heads of households led by women. And we have our Save Our Sisters program that deals with the holistic development of women. So even if you're not a client, a woman such as yourself could participate in Save Our Sisters because we have actual seminars and classes designed by the women where we get the input from them as to what they would like to see. So let's say that you decided you wanted to open a business on top of everything else that you're doing. How you would have the time, I don't know, (laughs) but just in case. Just in case. Yeah, so we have the SBA uh, Women's Business Center for the eastern side of Missouri that is run by the Urban League. And so we have our experts that talk about, you know, licensing and taxes and promotions HR rules and regulations and how to get the best banking relationships and how to have the best vendor relationships and how to really grow an idea and how to get the funding and the capital and the investors and all those things that it takes to actually create a business. Uh Or maybe you wanted to have a seminar on any topic whatsoever to enhance your career. Even though your career has been magnificent, you would be someone that we would ask to actually come teach a seminar for our clients. But all of us are in a constant learning process. And so that's what Save Our Sisters does. It also serves the collective of women, but we also still place majority women into jobs. 
and we are working to make sure that they have the resources and the clothing and all these other things that are necessary to go on interviews, have professional appearance, because when you look good, you feel, feel good. good and you get that confidence because everyone, quite frankly, any one of us, you know, whether I'm in this or a T-shirt and some shorts, I'm the same person. But we all know that we have a predisposition to think of people in a higher level based on their attire. Exactly. And so if a person is in professional attire, when they go on an interview, that gives them a one up on someone that perhaps is not. So what other programming? I mean, you've blown our minds, but what other programming do you all have like your young professionals programs or um, things like that, that other people can come and, and join forces with the Urban League? So we have several auxiliaries. Uh, so you were in the YPs and I was in Proya, which was before the YPs. It okay. was progressive young adults. Okay. And so that's how young people would get involved basically from 18 to 40 in the urban league movement. And so we encourage anyone 18 to 40 to get involved in our young professionals. Okay. So now that I'm Pat, now that I'm you, past you can that. be honorary okay. for the rest of your life. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Thank you. yeah, you could be honorary and no one would know if you didn't tell them. <laughs> so that's the good thing for you. Well, thank you. Yes. So me and my girls, what can we do? Um, because I, I know that when Dr. Bryant came and she did her episodes for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, she and our girlfriend, Micah Brown, actually volunteered during that time um, for one of your events where you all were donated, were giving out food and things of that nature. So what can just a little bit beyond the young professional, how can we get involved? Oh, sure. So there's always an opportunity to volunteer. Okay. We definitely need that for those large events that we have. Mm -hmm. Literally, we just had 250 volunteers just come out with us for our cleanup build up program that okay. we have with the RBC, where we go into challenged neighborhoods that have been underinvested and we tear down vacant, abandoned, derelict buildings with private wow. funds. And then we also clean up the community and then prepare it for future development. And then we'll have another couple hundred that we'll be using for our Christmas distribution okay. at the headquarters for food, toiletry, PPE, and some other items that we're giving out to the community and our Martin Luther King program. Okay. Same thing. So at Martin Luther King and Kings Highway, those days we have our volunteers show up at like 10 a.m. in the morning and they work as long as they can, usually up until about three or four when we close. But then throughout the week, in the six different food pantries we have, we always need volunteers. Okay. In the eight different head storage centers that we have, we need volunteers. And in all of our different programs, we need volunteers, sometimes items. For example, you know, many of our sorority member friends and some of our link sisters and some of the other people that are out in the community that have recently retired or maybe are working from home have donated their clothing to our wardrobe center. So that then young women, young ladies that really want to get their career started, they will then be able to have the clothes to be able to go do that. And of course, men as well. That's really good to know because I frequently have clothes that I, that I need to to give away. And so that's really good to know that I have an additional place yes. that I can bring those clothes and shoes to. And it's always gently used. I, I have a, a policy for myself. If I wouldn't wear it, I don't donate it. And yes. so I always give my gently used clothes because I know there's somebody, like you said, that needs that, um, that pick me up 
you know, in their attire to be able to go to interviews and present themselves in a way that they believe someone would want to hire them. Absolutely. So those are all excellent volunteer opportunities that we can exercise, not only here in the St. Louis metro area, but in your metropolitan area where your Urban League is located. You can reach out to them and and find out other opportunities that they may have. But anyone here in the St. Louis metropolitan area, we really need to get to work because you all are doing some amazing things. There was one thing that you mentioned that it's really close to me in addition to the Urban League in general. You mentioned your reentry program. And so I did my time, you know, as a public defender, as, you know, private defense counsel. Um, I even did a short period of time as an assistant state attorney. And every day of my life, I'm an African-American woman. And every day of my life, I'm raising two young black boys. Yes. And I am from a community, East St. Louis, that we've had our challenges, um, as all communities have. And so, Reentry, criminal justice reform, those are all things that are very near and dear to me. And so I would love to hear your position because I know you have very strong positions, as you've said, whether it was, you know, supporting families through, you know, situations with the police or or whatever's going on, but being able to have have a voice yes. towards, you know, people being able to re-enter having served their time, having paid their debt, and then being able to come out and live. You know, that's what I think so many people don't understand, that we are all human. We've all made mistakes. And that's not to take away from, I tell my son all the time, you know, there are consequences. There are good consequences for our good choices and bad consequences for our bad ones. But I see too often where people are continuously vilified for the things that they have done, even after they've done their due. And so to know that you are 100% behind reentry means a lot to me. So I would love to hear more about that and just... um, the Urban League and everything the Urban League is doing with that. Thank you. Thank you. No, I applaud you personally and professionally for taking up that mantle of leadership and that cause, because the truth of the matter is, if all of us had not had, let's say, the good parents, the good grandparents, the good teachers, mm-hmm. the good mentors, the good people in our lives that helped to put us on the right track, we might be one of the people that would be in a reentry program. Absolutely. And so just because someone made a mistake doesn't mean that they should be vilified for that for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. And when people talk about fiscal responsibility and they talk about taxpayer money being spent well, and they talk about things in the government that should be right, I firmly believe that strong reentry programs are one of those things. Mm -hmm. Because on average, if you're looking at a $35,000 expense, to keep a man or a woman in jail jail. per year, how do we redirect those funds Mm -hmm. and then cut them? Because it doesn't take $35,000 to have a reentry program work for a person and be able to give them the kind of mentorship, the kind of relationship, the kind of situational needs in terms of whatever each person's individual situation may be so that Mm -hmm. they can then get back on track. So here in Missouri, We've been able to develop a very strong relationship with the Department of Corrections. And so now we go into the halfway houses 
And when the young men get back, we go in there and teach, save our sons. Mm -hmm. And so we then try to connect them with whatever it is that they need, housing, food, transportation, jobs, anything that they need in order to be self-sufficient. And then also give them the clothing and the, the respect and the dignity that they need and the self-assurance so that they can go apply for and get one of these positions and then stay on the right track and not go back to whatever it was that got them put into the penitentiary in the first place, mm -hmm. because that's not the goal. The goal no. is how to get them back into American society, not to have recidivism just continue to rise. I think dignity, what you said, I think a lot of that is lacking. And I can appreciate personally, professionally, as a human being, the fact that Dignity, you said, is what you interject and inject into your programming because so much of what I see, the dignity is lacking. The, the respect is lacking. It's almost like people feel like they don't deserve respect because they committed, because they're a felon. Or when a lot of people don't understand, what did you just say? Everybody is one bad choice one bad decision away from a situation that could make them that person. Um, you said good parents and, and good direction. And so many people are like, oh, well, you get to make your decisions. But I don't understand why people don't understand. It's not that simple. And I don't think you have to be born and raised in East St. Louis to understand that. I, to me, that is a human thing. I made good choices, but I, all of my choices haven't been good, okay? So nobody's perfect. And I think the dignity is lacking. I think the respect is lacking. I think people's humanity is lacking. And we have to get back to a place where we actually care about people. And I come from a family of public servants. My father was a firefighter. My brother's a firefighter, you know, and, and I come from police officers and so many other things and social work. I, I didn't even have a degree in social work, but I just landed at the Urban League. And but my time as defense counsel was some of the best time in my career, being able to, especially as an indigent defense counsel, being able to stand in the gap for the defenseless, for the hopeless, for the castaway, for the, you know, and to be able to say, well, not on my watch. Like today, the state has to get up and do their job. Like I have to get up and do my job. They have to get up and do their job. And their job is to meet a burden. And if they don't meet that burden, then they didn't do their job. And I'm here to make sure that they do that for you. And they would just be like, but no, you're a public pretender. Like that's what y'all, and they're like, but you're not a pretender. And so many people were like, I will never have the same impression of a public defender ever after being represented by you. But it was more than just the job. It was my ministry. Like I care about people. And if you can't care about people, then I need you to not be around people. Like people be like, you so crazy. No, I'm so serious. If you cannot be a person, if you can't be human, if you there's no humanity in you, then I need you to go somewhere where you work by yourself. You 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 don't because leave that to the people that understand that you're human 
And then I need to see the humanity in you and I need to be able to help you from that space. And if I can't help you from that space, then I shouldn't be in that space. And I really appreciate everything that you were doing. I mean, from reentry to homelessness to, you know, the, the food gap and all these other things, because I think Rachel with Project Compassion would put it really well when she was like, they're people. And if we can't understand that there are people that need things um, and we're here to help them meet those needs with the resources that you provide, then with the representation I provided, then what are we here for? Like, yes. why are we here if we're not going to help somebody else? It's not, I'm not blessed for me. I'm blessed to be a blessing, to be a blessing. You're blessed to be a blessing and your life has spoken that has screamed that loudly um for decades now right. at this point and it is just such an honor to sit here with you oh, it's mine and to hear everything that you're doing and to hear your heart like we can hear your heart thank you and i hope that our listening audience and our viewing audience can hear and see your heart and be motivated and inspired to say, you know what? I need to come on out. I need to call them tomorrow. I need to stop by the office and I need to see this. But I need to see this men's warehouse that's really save us. I mean, yes, I need you yes. to see it for yourself and then drop those clothes off. You know, it's getting cold outside. You know, my children have outgrown all of their coats from last year. And my daughter had like eight coats, you know, and <laughs> with the tags on them because my mom is that type of person. Yeah. And just drop the stuff off to somebody who can really use it, somebody yes. who really needs it um, and just get involved. Like I literally was like thought. Like my past life flashed before my eyes when I saw what you were doing. And I said, I've really got to, I really got to do more. Well, thank you. I really do. No, I think all of us have the ability to be so much more than we have thought we would be, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of motivating, inspiring, and serving as a personal and a professional example of how we can impact change. And I never think that we should limit ourselves mm -hmm. when it comes to trying to do good, because mm -hmm. the truth of the matter is, you know, most of us believe in some higher power. Right. Mm -hmm. Most people in this country are Christian, but whatever they believe in. And even mm -hmm. if you don't believe the reality is you only get one life. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what are we going to do with that? What do we want our legacy to be mm -hmm. when we leave this world? Do we want people to stutter? And him and Hall about what kind of impact did this person have? Or do we want the impact to be so long that people say, you know what, we can't tell it all. We can't. Yes, <laughs> we can't tell it all. Because the truth is, you know, the Lord has blessed us. And as you said, all of us should use our blessing mm -hmm. to be a blessing to other people. Mm -hmm. Because really, that's the best gift that we have of all period. Mm -hmm. You know, and and of course we all like nice things and love to experience nice things and nice places and the rest, but ultimately is anyone ever going to have a park or a street or a building or a school or a library named after them because they bought so many clothes mm -hmm. and so many pairs of shoes and so many bags and so many suits, shirts and ties. No. We will be remembered for what we did for others. That's and right. so that really should be our biggest contribution to this world. 
So we just want to thank you thank for you. coming today and sharing just a fraction of what it is that you've done and, and what you're doing and what you're about to do. Because I'm super excited about your your December opening yes. in, in the boogie and all that that's going to do for so many people on the east side of the river. Um, but just everything that you're doing, everything that your heart is pouring out into communities, all communities, and particularly communities of color, um, and just bridging those gaps. Thank you. And just really helping people up. Yes. Um, and that's, like you said, that's what we're here to do. Thank you. So thank you so much. You will you. have to come back. I would be honored to come back and thank you for living the personification of what the Urban League movement is all about. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in today to Pros and Politics Podcast, where we are polished and poised for greatness and impact. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and you'll join us again next week. In the meantime, please like, love, share, and subscribe. And we'll see you next week. Thank you.